Morning, everyone. Uh, something God's definitely been speaking to me about, and this isn't related to what we'll be looking at this morning, but just felt the need to say it, is it's not about us, and it's not about what we do necessarily. It's about his fatherly, purposeful providence in what he wants to do with us, where he wants to take us. And I just felt that super releasing this week, taking the pressure off, the expectation off, and it's all about recognising our weakness, so it is a bit connected, and how God is mighty over it all. So just take that, think about that. It's about what God wants to do and not in our own strength. Anyway, let's, uh, let's look at the message this morning. So we are continuing our series looking at the life of Gideon, which is found in the book of Judges. So last time I spoke, we uh, looked at the introduction before Gideon appeared on the scene and what the situation was in the land of Israel during the time of the judges. So now Gideon is on the scene. We're gonna find out what his situation is, what's been happening to him and how God is gonna use this weak person to show his might through him. Okay, so last time we looked at this, Israel had sinned and Midian, which was a foreign nation, was oppressing them in the land. They would come over to Israel, pillage them, take all their supplies, ruin their crops, which was their way of survival back in that agricultural time. Uh, they would attack them with their armies and devastate them. So that caused Israel to have a culture of fear, of to go into hiding, to make their caves so that they could escape, to find different areas so that they could cover and hide from the attacking Midianites and the Amalekites, these two foreign lands with their armies attacking them. And we looked at how God calls us not to be overcome with fear, but to remember that he can deliver us, gives us courage to overcome whatever we're fearful of in life, and the ability to support one another when we recognize fears that people are going through. So I just want to go through this next portion of scripture then. We'll be looking at Judges chapter 6 verses 11 to 16. You don't need to turn to it if you wish not to, but I'll just read it out and I'll break it down and we'll go through it. So chapter 6, book of Judges, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, which is a kind of tree, at Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So, Israel was in hiding. Gideon, being part of Israel, was also in hiding. He was doing his work but he was doing it in a place where usually you wouldn't do it. You'd do it on something called a threshing floor where you'd thresh out the, the wheat from the crops, something we're not really familiar with in our day and age uh, as we've no need to do it in our lives. But this was a task that you had to do if you were to eat and build up your supplies for your family, for your tribe. But he's doing it in a secret place. He's doing it in hiding so that when the Midianites come, they're not gonna find it 
take it all for themselves and leave them devastated, leave them poor without provision for their family. So Gideon is in hiding, okay? So the next part, verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God is calling out Gideon's true identity. God is recognizing who Gideon is going to become as God works through him and he's calling that out in preparation for where he wants to lead him. We'll read later that Gideon didn't view himself as a mighty man of valor, but far from it. Those are going to be in the next few verses. However, the Lord saw who he would become and knew how he would transform Gideon with his grace and with his strength at work in him. So he called out Gideon's true identity in God's sight and proclaimed it over him as a way of calling Gideon to step into his commission. So, you know, when you're commissioned, perhaps you're commissioned for a piece of work at your office to get on with something, you're being told to do something. You're being given a task to complete. And that's what God, through his angel, is doing to Gideon in the wine press underneath the tree. He's calling out Gideon's identity and he's giving him a task. He's giving him a commission to get on with. Whoops. So there's a lot of confusion around identity in our day and age. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's one of those hot topics. God was calling out Gideon's true identity and calling him to step into it. It's a topic then, identity, that we're very aware of in this society, whether it's confusion around gender identity, disillusioned young people perhaps, trying to identify their place and their contribution in a society that perhaps they weren't expecting to enter into when they finished their education. Or even for those older folks who are struggling to know in our day and age how they best fit into an ever-increasing uh, world, an ever-changing world with all the advances with all the changes that are going on around them. How do we engage? How do I fit in? What's my place? What's my position? Everyone's asking, what do I identify as? Who am I? Whereas what God wants us to be asking is, who is he identifying us as? Who does he say that we are? Knowing who God has called us to be gives us confidence in our calling, both as individuals and as a church. Knowing who God's called us to be will give us confidence to step into what he's calling us to do and who he's calling us to be. So I watched recently and, you know, I do my best to try and fit in either a film reference or a superhero illustration because that's one of the things that I love. Margaret's laughing, but it's true. Uh, so I re-watched recently, for any Spider-Man fans out there, the Spider-Man films. He's liking it. Yeah, you're a fan, aren't you? 
Yeah. So I rewatched them all, the, the old trilogy, the Tobey Maguire trilogy, the first ones that came out, and I watched the two new ones, and I watched the two new ones. They've remade it like three times now. Um, but in the first Spider-Man film, back in 2002, I distinctly remember going to see it with my dad in the cinema, super excited when I was at school, year seven, little 11-year-old Johnny Dirk. Um, and I went to see it, and one of the key themes of that film was Peter Parker's identity, okay? Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Peter Parker was struggling with who he was. He knew he was Peter Parker. He knew he was the weakling, the kids that got bullied at school, the guy that couldn't get a girl, all these kind of cliche things that upset teenage boys when they're in school. He knows what he was in that sense. But when he became Spider-Man, when he got bitten by the radioactive spider and he put the suit on and he started figuring out what he was supposed to do, the whole plot of that film is him trying to figure out, who am I? The, the film actually opens up in the opening scene with the question, who am I? And the rest of that movie is him trying to figuring, figure it out. What's he supposed to do? He's obviously been called, he's been given a gift, he's been given a task to do by these powers he's received. Is he gonna use them selfishly? Is he gonna do what he wants with them? Or is he gonna do something good, something greater over and beyond himself? And that's what he tries to figure out through the film. Peter Parker had to answer the question to fully embrace the power he had been given and responsibility he had to use it. You know that classic line from the film, with great power comes great responsibility? Peter Parker had been given great power, so the question was, is he going to be responsible for it and is he going to step into the identity that he's been given through these powers? So what I'd just like us to do is, Looking at identity briefly, and this is gonna shake us up a little bit because I know we like to get comfortable and we like to listen to the message as kind of part of the plan, as part of the process. We're gonna stand up for two seconds, if that's all right. So stand up. And the tiniest smidge of engagement, it will be really short, so you don't need to freak out. But there's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote, and it's one of my favorite letters that Paul wrote. And in chapter one, he gives one of the greatest list of identifiers. He's trying to explain the church. He's trying to identify who the church is and what the church is. So he reels off this list of who we are. And it counts for us as individual believers, but it also more greatly counts for us as a body, as the church. So what I'd like to do is, okay, down the middle, Tim, okay, you're this side. And you guys are obviously this side, okay? You're gonna start here, and we're gonna repeat after me, okay? And we're gonna be looking to our brothers and sisters across the room, and what I'm saying, you're gonna repeat, and you're gonna speak over to them, all right? And then we'll do the same for you guys. So we're speaking the truth of who we are as a church, our identity, are you ready? So this side first, look at them, speak over them. You are a saint. You are a saint. You are faithful. You are blessed. You are blessed. You're chosen. You're holy. You're holy. You're blameless. You're predestined. You're adopted. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. 
your receivers of grace, your, receivers of grace. your, inheritors, your inheritors, and your secured. Right, you guys, be quiet. Your turn. Again, you are a saint. You are, a saint. You are, faithful. You are faithful. You are blessed. You are blessed. You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You're predestined. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're receivers of grace. Your inheritors, and you are secured. All right, sit down, everyone. I hope that wasn't too cringy for you, but well done. And welcome. Right, it's good to speak truth over each other. I know we can read it, but like I was just sharing during worship, we can just let it wash over you like water on a duck's back. So it's good to speak it over us. All those things. If you have confessed with your tongue and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, all those things are true about you. So I encourage you, go home today, maybe at some point this week and read Ephesians chapter 1, believing that's you. Paul's describing you. Paul's describing this church. So what is your true identity? If you believe on Christ as Lord and Saviour, then you are a son of God. Adopted into his family, he's your father and you have a place with him. You're a new creation, so the old is gone, the new has come. Whatever your life was before Christ, it's washed away. The slate's been clean as Jim spoke. And we're something and someone new in him. And we have a right relationship with God, like what Rich was talking about as well. We're put in a right relationship with our creator forevermore. So that's us. That's us as individuals, but that's also us as a church. That's our identity as a people of God. And it's important to know who we are, how we identify ourselves, but more importantly, how God identifies us. That's the key. How does God see me? How does God see us? That's what I care about over and above who or what I identify as. But then, if we're going to advance the kingdom as a church in this new season, and we're in this new season with great opportunities, if we're going to make any effect, if we're going to make any impact, we've got to know who we are as a church. We've got to know what we stand for. We've got to know what we value. We've got to know what we're going to reach out into the city centre for. Who are we as Hope Church? And so I just want to remind us, I'm sure we're all aware of this, but it's, again, it's helpful to have it spoken over us and just to remind us really briefly, three pillars of our church are that we pursue God. How do we do that? By worshipping him as we've been doing, experiencing his presence and hearing and obeying his word. We pursue God. Serving people. Those guys walking, them looking, in, them looking through the window now. We want to serve them, okay? We want to serve all these people walking by. And how do we do that? By showing his kingdom and telling his gospel. Words and acts. The words and wonders. We want to speak it and we want to show it in what we do. Yesterday we had our granary open day. I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately, because my kiddies are a bit under the weather. 
So we spent it yesterday watching Sleeping Beauty and Frozen and Tangled. <laughs> uh, I had a good time, but yeah. Um, so we weren't able to make it, but I heard it was a blast, an opportunity to invite people into our building. Yes, to show them what we're about with the building, but for that by the Spirit to lead into a conversation about who we are as disciples. Why do we believe this thing called the gospel? Why do we live our lives under something called the Bible? Okay, it's an opportunity. So we pursue God, we serve people, and we export hope through sending resources and ministry to different nations. We're all about hope, hence the name hope, and we want to give that not just to these guys, but further afield to different countries, which we do in the likes of Uganda and other areas, Europe. And we want to try and reach out, building churches, raising leaders, and giving opportunity to share the good news that we want to do in Worcester City. So that's our identity, pursuing God, serving people, and exporting hope. And then also, just who we are as a culture as well. Every person and every family has a culture, a way they do things, the way we do things around here, who we are that makes us who we are, and part of our identity as well. And again, some of the things that we want to express as a family of God in Hope Church is that we're a church that honours everyone. We're a church that's a community. It's a church where we have faith for each other. It's a church where we show grace to everyone. A church that's supernatural, expecting the Spirit to work in us and through us. And we're a church that's generous to everyone, whether wealthy or poor. We want to be a church that gives of ourselves to everyone. So just a few identifiers. How, what makes us us? as a church. So let's go on to the next part then. This is verse 13. Okay. And Gideon said to him, so that's the angel of the Lord, that's just called Gideon, a mighty man of valour. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. God, uh, Gideon doubts the Lord's presence in this situation because he bases it on whether or not Israel is at peace and safe from suffering. They weren't on that occasion. So Gideon is doubting that God is with them and for them and helping them. We can ask the same question ourselves in our day and age and what we've been going through recently as a nation and as a world globally. Why has all this happened to us as a church, to us as a country, to me as an individual? Whether it be COVID and any effects negatively that may have had and impacted you on your life, not being able to gather for a long time, not just as the church, but not being able to see family members, not being able to see loved ones, keeping a distance, whatever it might be. Struggling to make friends at college and uni. I've spoken to a few students already and it's weird because they're second years, but they're speaking to me as though uh, they're first years, trying to make friends because they couldn't do last year, trying to make new friendship groups and get to know peers. 
Not being able to leave your house and see people, the loneliness and the isolation that comes with that. Gideon's circumstances wrongly affected his beliefs. Gideon's circumstances wrongly affected his belief in God. He doubted God's presence because of the situation he found himself in. Don't let your situation detract you from your conviction. Don't let your situation detract you from your convictions. The convictions of our belief found in God's words alone should influence and inform how we experience the world, not the other way around. How you experience the world shouldn't tell you what God is like or what God's doing, rather who God is, his character, what he's done before, what he's doing now and what he promises he'll do in the future should influence how we see the world and how we behave in it, how we approach it. A lack of suffering and season of peace doesn't necessarily mean God is with us, nor does a season of intense suffering and lack of peace mean God's abandoned you. Although don't misunderstand me, when we enjoy peace and when we experience uh, health or, or, or blessings in some way, it's a blessing of God to be thankful for and to enjoy. But it doesn't necessarily mean that when we don't experience those things, God is against us or God is doing something with us that we don't like or isn't right. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and accept him as saviour, we'll be born again of the spirit and by grace will always have the presence of God with us because his spirit will live in you. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, God is with you. His presence is with you. Okay? When you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through difficulties, remember that he is with you. And when you're blessed, thank God for it because he's blessing you. But when you're not for whatever reason, trust him that he's still with you and helping you. So what situation, a bit of a reflection for you to take home, what situation are you facing that's wrongly informing your beliefs about God? What are you going through that you may, don't, you may not understand, is confusing, and so you can't help but have it influence what you believe about God? Okay, what are you facing that's wrongly informing your belief? Could it be, maybe just as an example, financial struggles, doubting God's provision. You're struggling with your finances and therefore thinking, well, God's not providing for me. Does he not, is he not a provider? God is a provider. Peer pressure, maybe for you guys who are students on university campuses or in college, the pressure to go binge drinking with your mates and, and causing a ruckus and a riot or sleeping around on campus with whoever you want to, God is not helping me. I'm feeling the pressure of giving in to that. Well, God gives self-control and he gives support. You can find that here, the support, or on your campuses at a CU. Loneliness and ill health causing doubt of God's friendship and protection. God gives family and friends. 
to help us in our times of need. We're family. You're never alone. You're never alone because God's with you, but you're never alone because you're part of us. You're part of a church and we love each other. Let the truth of God's words and its revelation of God's character influence your situation, not the other way round. Don't let your situation tell you who God is, but rather let God, who God is tell you how to approach the world. Okay then, and the last part before we wrap up, verses 14 to 16. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the, land, from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God answers Gideon's questions with two clear, unmistakable responses. Does not he send Gideon? Do not I send Gideon? And will not I be with you? God sends him and God will be with him. So Gideon can do jolly well whatever God wants him to do because God's might is in him. There's no greater reassuring or confidence building replies to our fearful doubts, whatever they may be, than knowing God has called me and he will keep me company. God will keep you company and he will call you whatever he's tasked you or us as a church to do. Gideon recognised his weakness. He said, how can I save Israel? I'm the weakest in my clan. Not only that, but my clan is one of the least clans. My tribe is like one of the least tribes of Israel. How am I going to save anyone or do anything? Anything. He couldn't do anything in his own strength, but God reminded him of his mightiness, God's mightiness, to work through Gideon. Like an envoy or ambassador dispatched from another country to share a message from its president or prime minister with their authority, we too are sent by Christ to share his message, his good news, his life, death, resurrection and return with his power and his authority, with his calling and his commission on our lives. We are like Gideon in that sense. We've received a calling and a commission and an identity and the strength of God to go in our weakness to share it. So in this new season of Hope Church, let's stir one another up and motivate each other with reminders that we've been called to go on a mission together as one family and body. And we've been, we've been called to that by almighty God himself. Let the weight of that kind of stay on you. We've been called by almighty God for a purpose and a mission to get involved in. And that we're not alone, but he's with us as we continue to recalibrate, which is important to do because it's all new and different, but also to navigate our impact in this city. We need to recalibrate with each other but we do need to navigate as well what we're going to do as a church, how we're going to do it and where God is leading us. So if Jane could just come uh, back up, if that's all right, we're just going to close with a song. And as Jane prepares, let's just think going into today and this next week, those three key things to take away from the story of Gideon as we are introduced to him, our identity, 
as God identified the person Gideon would become and called that out of him, so let's speak to each other and treat each other with honour, respect, love, speaking to each other's brothers and sisters and treating each other as sons and daughters of God. Let's encourage one another to do good deeds and call out giftings in each other as we go forward. And then our calling. As God reminded Gideon, who was sending him, let's live with a confidence and an assurance in whose authority we have. Not arrogantly flaunting it around, not that anyone would believe us in this day and age as well, because no one really cares about God, but humbly recognising it and inviting others into that calling through the good news of Jesus. And lastly, company. That as God also emphasised that we would be with that He would be with Gideon, let's never forget that He's also with us today, and so let's reflect that by being close to each other, being friends, keeping company together, investing in each other's lives to support, challenge, and encourage each other. Gideon was weak; God was mighty. God will work through us. So let's stand together now, if that's all right and just take an opportunity to remind yourself of your identity in Christ, all the things I've said. Remind yourself, ask God, how do you see me? And remember, he's called you to whatever it is he's called you to, but over and above that, he's called us as a church to great things and great impact. And remember that he's with you as you do that. You'll never, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Thanks, Jane.